If you're enjoying the Fastest Known Podcast, please let us know by rating and reviewing it in iTunes. If you have a guest suggestion, please send that person to me, Craig, at craig at fastestknowntime.com. And if you have feedback on how we can improve the show or anything to change, please send that to me as well. And finally, each Monday morning, we send out a newsletter with the best FKTs of the week. It's a cool way to keep up with what's going on and learn more about the culture of the sport. Sign up for it at fastestknowntime.com slash newsletter. Back we are with the Fastest Known Podcast. Thank you all for joining. I feel like, well, this is sort of odd, but I feel like we're all old friends here, even though we're not seeing each other in person. But I really enjoy talking with some of the people, actually, what am I saying? All the people on the podcast. And now we're coming back dear to my heart. I am now speaking with a person who on October 18th, completed the Grand Canyon 4X. That's four times crossing the Grand Canyon, rim to rim to rim to rim to rim. In 19 hours, 29 minutes, and 15 seconds, that's a long day, I am speaking with Drew Fraze. Welcome, Drew. Hey, thanks for having me, Buzz. Well, yeah, thanks for being here. This is uh, the Grand Canyon, the big ditch. This is the real deal. I mean, I guess I don't have to tell you that. Yeah, um, it's fun to hang out and talk about uh, Grand Canyon and doing um, this run in a place that has so much history with uh, fast running um, rim to rim and rim to rim to rim and even more. Um, I know people have been out there and done a lot more crossings uh, in one effort, and it's a uh, on to finally do this one um, for crossings. Yeah. Well, you live in Flagstaff, so this is relatively your backyard. That's essentially the closest city, large city. Hmm. I think that's fair for the South Rim. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you can count Tucson as a city. So, uh, yeah, close. So Flagstaff is the closest city with a reasonably public airport and, uh, so you're as close as you can get. So do you go to the Grand Canyon a lot? Yeah, I feel like I do. Um, I feel like there's definitely a lot of runners in Flagstaff that uh, like to train there. Um, hardly unique in that regard. Um, I feel like I went there a lot when I lived uh, a little further away in Sedona, too. Um, there's just so much to explore Grand Canyon, um, even beyond the quarter, so many trails. Um, and for somebody that likes uh, hiking or backpacking or running, it's... Uh, it's just so epic. Um, and I feel like in all seasons, um, there's different, um, amazing things to be experienced in Grand Canyon. Um, and I love running down there, whether it's, uh, on the corridor or, um, uh, further in the backcountry trails where you can get away from, um, all the mule droppings or, uh, all the people, all the crowds and just have, um, kind of your own quiet experience. Um, yeah, I love it running on Grand Canyon. Uh, try and make it there as often as is reasonable. Um, well, how often is th- how often is that? Uh, that depends on how good a shape I'm in um, <laughs> and what kind of efforts uh, are talking about. Um, I know really hard running in the corridor just wrecks my quads, and uh, it can take <laughs> some time to recover from. Um, so yeah, um, sometimes that's an excuse not to be there, um, and sometimes it's just fun to run vert here in Flagstaff or down in Sedona. Um, yeah. Um, let's see. So like what? 10 times a year. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Um, so I just did this FKT and then the week before I completed this, I ran rim to rim to rim. 
And then the week after this FKT, uh, my girlfriend and I went backpacking down in Grand Canyon. And then we have two backcountry permits for two other weekends in November at Grand Canyon. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot of trips, even in just eight weeks. Um, but Well, your quads weren't too shot. No. <laughs> yeah, I think that was part of the strategy for uh, anybody that's run. Um, anything in Grand Canyon knows how steep things are, especially in the South Rim. And I think there's... Uh, um, for this effort, is definitely trying to minimize the um, the loading of my quads and just stop stepping kind of as softly as possible to um, avoid blowing them out. Although it is fun to just go as fast as you can down that um, down those trails, it'll certainly do a number on you. Indeed. Well, let's set the stage. Wow, this is good. Let's set the stage with you a little bit more. Then we'll talk about your actual crossing. And you gave me some really interesting ideas here which is to tell other people how to do it. Because this this is one of the classic routes in the world, literally. So you, you live down there in Flag, as we mentioned. You've done a fair amount of racing in that area. Uh, you've had a little bit of success down there. You've done a lot of the Aravipa um, events, Cold Water Rumble, Sheep Camp, 24-Hour, Silverton Alpine Marathon, Uray, everything kind of in northern Arizona, if we could say, southwestern Colorado, Four Corners area, right? Four Corners, exactly, yeah. Yeah, good for you. You can't go wrong. And now we're going to note that you, this is your third attempt. Yeah. So maybe that's where we ought to start. Maybe we ought to next go before how you did this one, how you didn't do the other two. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I think the listeners kind of want to learn because, you know, Many people listening to this either have done this or want to go do it. Mm-hmm. You just did it twice in uh, 19 and a half hours. That's a long day. So how did you not make it the first two attempts? What happened in those tries? Yeah. So um, I've been kind of fascinated with uh, the four crossings of KC for a while. It's something that's been on my radar for a couple of years. Um, and I think... Um, over the winter, one year, I started scheming on how I wanted to actually do it. Um, and this was um, right before COVID. Um, I was trying to get my vert up, uh, think, thinking about how to do it. And um, some of my close friends, I mentioned it too. Um, and then COVID happened and things started shutting down. So the first time I tried it, one of my teammates at Aravipa, Colleen, uh, sent me a text that they were going to close the park indefinitely. That's the thing that happened. Um, and that they were going to close it and that if I wanted to go do this run, I would have, uh, pretty much a day to go do it because they were going to close it the following day at midnight. Um, so very hastily for the first try, I, I, and this was in March, I think end of March, I, um, got my stuff together and decided to go try and do it, um, totally unsupported, just go out there and, and do that run. And it was, uh, it was so cold and so snowy and, uh, I got to the North Rim, I know, and it was just um, absolutely just covered in snow. Like half the water at the park was off. I mean, this is really hasty. I was definitely underestimating it quite a bit. Um, and I did the first rim to rim to rim. Um, and I was surprised at just how, what a toll it took on my quads. And like the weather was so bad and there was nobody there. It was a ghost town because they were closing the park. And they were putting signs <laughs> up like no entry. Um, and I just didn't have the courage to get back down there in, um, it was actively snowing on the North Rim in March, just insanely cold. 
Um, I didn't prep my gear right. Just very hastily, spur of the moment. Um, I don't know. I think we all maybe kind of do stupid things like that. And I realized what a stupid idea that was to go that hasty. And and then they closed the park. So that was that. Well, is it okay that I'm chuckling here? Let's see. Or is that a oh, yeah. form of me? Is is that acceptable? Yeah, of course. I mean, um, thank you. Yeah, no, in my heart, I thought I could do it. It's like, no, I just need to go, you know, like take enough nutrition and it'll work out. And, um, well, there's that old saying, Drew, and I I like this account. There's an old saying you fail at 100% of the things you don't try. try. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so. Definitely want to and uh, you, you have an excellent excuse where you had one day to get it together, which is, whoa, that's going to be tough. Because like you said, you mentioned the quads twice already. And that's the deal. That's yeah. the game here, isn't it? So for anyone who's been there, I'm just rehashing something. But if you haven't been there, just note that normally you run up a mountain. Then to finish your day, you run back down. Here, you start by running down, and then you got to get back out. And so you're starting off fresh as a daisy, and if you're a little over-enthused, you're going to pound that downhill, and what happens later? Yeah. Um, So just some numbers on the the four crossings. It's 83 miles and change, just under 84, but your elevation gain and loss is over 22,000 feet. Um, So if you're not in really great shape or taking care to minimize that impact on your quads or yeah, going out a little too enthused in your climbing. I think a lot of people will find themselves uh, really struggling to make time. I mean, we talk a lot about the the climbing and the descent of Grand Canyon, but what we're not talking about is the bottom, like the box, uh, which is pretty runnable. Um, And that's a place where your minutes can add up um, and your splits really do add up. And um, I think you really need to set yourself up for fast running in the box. Cause you're, you're doing that four times in this effort. Um, and, uh, yeah, you need to be able to be efficient and smart there and not have totally dead quads or hamstrings or, um, anything like that to make all your minutes count. So the box is from phantom up to cottonwood campground. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I think that's mm-hmm. a super runnable section. Um, after, well, even higher, I would argue, um, up to Manzanita rest area. Um, there's like that little, uh, kind of ranger station there. I think you can run up to that pretty easily um, gotcha. after Cottonwood, but yeah. And it's a box because you're down on Kaibab Creek. And so it is a, a, a narrow, a very narrow Canyon while coming down Kaibab or Bright Angel Trail, uh, South Kaibab or Bright Angel Trail. There, there's no Canyon at all. You're, you're just doing switchbacks out in the open. Yeah. So I got you on that. Right. And those are very steep gradients, while the box, as you call it, is a fairly moderate gradient. Mm-hmm. And so if you can't run that effectively, you're just giving up chunks of easy time. Exactly. I think if you overdo it either on your descent or your climb, uh, you're minimizing the ability to be truly efficient down there with those really runnable miles. Um, and I think splitting good down there um, is kind of the key to, to any of these efforts, whether you're trying to do just rim to rim really fast or rim to rim to rim. Um, I think that's the part that gets overlooked. Nice. Interesting. Uh, snowing like heck in March. I believe that yeah. people don't realize, you know, the North Rim is 8,000 feet. Yeah, exactly. So, and then you drop down to Phantom and it's baking hot. <laughs> so, <Often>. it's, <laughs> so it's it's a fun route. <laughs> and 
also people should know that the north, the road to the North Rim traditionally opens on May 15th. Yeah. Not March 15th, because up until May, from November 15th until May 15th, you can't drive to the North Rim due to snow. So yeah. it's an interesting place. Absolutely. Um, and then add to that, uh, in Arizona, uh, we have the diurnal um, uh, temperatures here. So you can expect a really huge drop between your daytime and nighttime temperatures. In addition to just the um, um, insane difference in temperatures from the South Rim and Phantom or North Rim and Phantom, um, between day and night, you're talking about a lot of change in temperature as well. So a lot of things okay. going on. <laughs> uh, quads among them. Now, your second attempt, did you, you must have prepared a little bit better for that one. Yeah, I think so. Um, if you look at some of the, um, like the time of year for the previous um, folks that have done this, um, instead of GTs that are supported, self-supported, unsupported, uh, you see October is kind of popular, and I think for good reason. Um, I think a lot of people that come out and try and run rim to rim to rim, super popular season right before they uh, shut off some of the water in the corridor, because uh, that's another variable in the canyon is that the uh, the water is not super reliable and that it gets it does reliably get shut off at a certain time of year in most places in the canyon um so south kaibab uh, trails no water um, on it until you get down to the colorado and phantom range there has some water and then you have a couple sources until you get up to uh, the north rim um, but then those start to get shut off just depending on the time of year because again it freezes so you can count on no water at the North Rim turnaround or um, uh, Supai Tunnel, things like that. They get progressively um, shut off as the weather changes. So the second attempt I did for this, um, uh, the weather was really good. It was starting to cool down here in northern Arizona, and all the water was still on. And I was really just going to do a rim to rim to rim with uh, one of my friends. Um, and then decided the day before it would be a good time to try and do four crossings. Um, I knew I was going to try it this year, but um, I decided it'd be a waste to do that rim to rim to rim when I could just easily go in there and do four crossings. Um, so I tried it again and uh, did the first rim to rim to rim and got to the top. And uh, when it was time to turn around, I just didn't have the heart to go into um, into the night, into kind of like uh, the cold. Um, I worked the night before pretty late and then was already out on like three hours of sleep. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I just I just couldn't see it through. Um, this is a couple weeks after a 100 miler also. Um, but it got under my skin where I had to try it again a week later, uh, which brings us to the day it actually worked out. Um, a week after failing four crossings, I went back. Oh, and, I see. So it was just a week before. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I decided to, if um, I'd been trying to get unsupported at this point, because um, I figured it'd be easy enough to do alone. I do a lot of solo running alone. Um, but I figured I needed to change some of my strategy around this run um, to get it done. And one of the things was um, uh, bringing somebody with me for the, the second set of crossings. And also starting at night and getting that um, the night running done with first and the kind of cooler running um, and then just doing a casual rim to rim to rim after the sun comes up with a friend. So that's how it worked out for me. I see. Very, very, very interesting. Well, I like what you said. You twice did rim to rim to rim. You got up there and you turned around, looked back down and said, whoa, 
Yeah. I don't got this. Now, interestingly, because I've had this happen to me out in Canyonlands once. I was by mm-hmm. myself. And I was looking at swimming the Colorado alone oh, wow. at night. And I thought, I just sat there for like 10, 15 minutes calculating. And I thought, physically, I can do this. Emotionally, I don't think I can do this. Right? And isn't that, so you kind of reach into this core of really how much do you want it or trying to balance out being smart versus being stupid. You know, you want this to be not a suffer fest. You kind of want it to be enjoyable. So your, your mind is turning over a lot of variables, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think having just done a hundred miler, like a hard rock qualifier a couple of weeks previous, I knew what that back effort was going to feel like and uh, what it would take, um, not just physically, but yeah, like you were saying, kind of um, um, in your head to get it done. And um, I didn't think I had it on that day and resolved to go back and play in smarter and give it a, a fair shake. Nice. <laughs> this is so fun, Drew. I, I appreciate this. Here's a few other things. Your first one you tried in March mm-hmm. and the recently in, in October. Now, something I've noticed is that I don't got the quads in the springtime, right? Yeah. Because in Colorado, you're not going up in the high mountains in the winter. Maybe you're skiing, but descending on skis is a lot easier than running down. Well, by the time the end of the summer comes, I'm pretty spiffy on the quads. So do you think a rim-to-rim-to-rim is easier in the fall for most people than in the spring? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I mean, it gets pretty snowy here in Flagstaff, too, and Personally, I'm looking forward to ski season for the exact same reason. And yeah, I, I don't know if I can back up those uh, those crazy efforts um, coming out of um, schemo um, or certainly not cross country. But yeah, after um, everything thaws and doing some good mountain running, uh, hopefully some good mountain races, I think the tail end of your season is, is a great time to jump in there um, when the cooler temps settle in and um, hopefully while all the water is still on. Great. <laughs> Water is helpful. Water is helpful. <laughs> um, now, you were another quick question before I ask you about that. Um, we're talking about the, the quad 4X, which means two double crossings, shall we say. And obviously, Jim Walmsley has the FKT and the rim to rim to rim. So, do is the kind of the local or the understood? lore that nobody is going to try for that fkt i mean jim's time is just and of course that's very competitive he beat you know some he better you know this who's who of mountain runners to establish that time so are we in a situation where everyone just leaves that one alone and does other things that's an excellent question i think about that a lot actually um with all the running i've done at grand canyon even on my hardest efforts um none of them really hold a candle to what um jim's been able to do down there uh, not just for for that day he set that record, but consistently. Um, so for me, that would have been uh, kind of a joke to go after. Um, I love rim to rim to rim, but um, certainly looking for something I could swing at, it wasn't going to be that. Um, that's an excellent question. Uh, somebody's going to break that record, I think, someday. That'll be amazing to see. Um, it's pretty amazing as it is. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know either. Um I will do a little teaser here, which is at some point, fastestknowntime.com is going to add a leaderboard. 
at uh, I'm just doing this little on the sly unofficial announcement. But uh, the Rim to Rim to Rim is one of our ten premier routes, and for our ten premier routes, we're going to at some point add a leaderboard. It's not going to be infinite like Strava. It'll just be like a top ten, yeah. or maybe it'll reset each year. And so here's the best times for this year because Jim's time is a little bit out of reach. And I'd love to have people like you and other people like have a good go at it and get a little recognition. So this is an unofficial announcement, but something's going to happen on this website at some point in the next couple of years. That's awesome. I, uh, it's so fun to watch people um, go all out at Grand Canyon and, and challenge themselves, whatever that means for them and their fitness. Um, and I think, um, that would be amazing thing for, for the quarter running, um, is, is yeah, giving, uh, people an opportunity to do their best, uh, out there. That's awesome. Right. Because it, it, it's, it's truly world-class in my opinion, the corridor, you called it the corridor, the corridor trails are not technical. I think that's one, another reason is that the quads take such a beating because you're not slowing down. You don't have to slow down. I mean, if you're coming down South Kaibab, you can point it downhill with very few ill effects. On a more technical trail, you might have to slow down a little bit. Um, I think I disagree with you a tiny bit there. I think there's there's some um, really smooth sections, and there's some really steppy stuff there. Um, I would say steppy. I think steppy is a good word um, because of all the cobbles there. But then you also have because the mules use it and it is graded for, for mule traffic. Um, so, you know, it's not hyper steep, but um, those cobbles and rocks um, and then the rebar that supports them. And then the pieces of wood that hold those together is really steppy stuff um, that mixed with uh, all the switchbacks. I think it's hard to get um, just really crazy times, even going down South Kaibab. Um yeah, uh, there, there's certainly parts of the North Rim, too, that, again, are just really steppy, really steep. Um, you got to be careful, um, especially going around those switchbacks. But there is plenty of open running, too. I, uh, I still think it's technical there. <laughs> Good call, Drew. I appreciate that. Steppy. It's a new term, but it's I appreciate that term. And besides, let's say, just shall we say, not really technical. So, I mean... Anyone who can run on trails can run in the on the corridor trails in the Grand Canyon. We could say that. Um, and also, it's not high elevation. So, for example, the Bar Trail on Pikes Peak, which is pretty relatively non-technical. It's actually gotten more technical up top as that decomposed granite has gotten eroded away. So the, the rocks that used to stick out six inches now stick out two feet. Hmm. So it's a little more technical. But... The main thing there is high. Unless you're accurate, yeah. you can't compete at Pikes Peak. Well, the Grand Canyon, you could come from Europe. You can come from South America. And, you know, it's a little higher, but you're not going to be shut out due to the altitude. That's fair. Yeah, for sure. I think um, those of us that live here in Flagstaff or northern Arizona certainly take that part for granted. With our right. relative elevation here at 7,000 feet in Flagstaff. Yeah. Right. Okay, let's stick with the how again. So now we've moved from uh, two unsupported attempts. First one was just spur of the moment. The second one, not quite, but a little bit. So now your third one, you're you're gearing up for this a little bit more. So speaking of gear, I mean, do you have any advice here? I think you run for Rabbit. 
you mm-hmm. wear rabbit clothing. We're going to put a link to rabbit on the written show notes, which is interesting gear made just for runners. Is that right? They only make gear for runners. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, yeah. Um, so I started at night. Um, my how was kind of to do the colder stuff first. Again, um, the rims are cold. It gets cold at night. Um, so I started my run out and uh, tights, uh, the tights rabbit makes. And I had a, a long sleeve from them on. And uh, I even brought gloves and a headband um, thinking I would need it and kind of shed those pretty, pretty quickly into the run. Um, and later on in my day, I was running in like a three inch uh, split shorts, like FKT shorts are ironically called. And uh, like this featherweight, just insanely weight perforated um, run tee um, by the end of my run. So definitely switching up the gear clothing wise for that run, super helpful. Um, Yeah, uh, I like to minimize the amount of sun that can be on me. Um, Certainly on sunny days, um, the sun can take a lot out of you in Grand Canyon. Um, So I like my, um, my short sleeve t-shirt as opposed to a singlet um but right right because a a singlet kind of looks cool looks like you're racing but the sun's hitting your bare skin which really isn't helpful it actually warms you up yeah so to have a light uh t-shirt short sleeve reflects the sun actually keeps you cooler yeah exactly um yeah so that's kind of my how um as far as gear gear wise i also took poles for the back rim to rim to rim but not the front um yeah and i i one of my friends was nice enough to uh, meet me at the South Rim for the second set of crossings to hold me accountable to not bailing. They took the whole day off, so I kind of knew I couldn't, um, you know, let them down taking the whole day off work. And and that was sometimes you just need that accountability, like a little bit outside yourself to just start, you know, to lead the aid station or to start the next leg of your your run. And I, I figured out ultimately that's what I needed was uh, a little bit of accountability uh, beyond myself. Nice. You got to the, it's just like doing a hundred miler. You come into the aid station and you say, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) There's your crew saying, dude, you can do this. Um, You know, let's get out of that chair. I'll walk with you for the first few feet. And I think you got this. And then you usually do. Yeah. I think, um, so I just did my first 200 plus miler this year. I did Cocodona 250. And I think oh. that accountability of uh, my girlfriend was out crewing me. That was actually the first thing she crewed, which is insane. It's a multi-day 250 miler. Um, but just but your, there. Your, wait, but your girlfriend crewed you on a 250 miler. That's the first thing she's ever crewed too. Like, you know, <laughs> like no, no 50 miler, no hundred. It's like a multi-day across Arizona event. So shout out to her for that. That's pretty amazing. But, um, shout out. But her whole family knew I was, was doing Cocodona. And they were super invested in it. Like her grandparents were looking at the live stream. And sometimes sometimes that accountability of just knowing, um, yeah, that, that can be helpful. In a low moment, you know, um, something outside yourself. Nice. I like that. So what you described a few minutes ago is you did the first double crossing yourself. But you started that at, at night. night. Yeah. Yeah. Which is very night. clever. Then you, then when you get ready to start the second one, presumably you had slept the previous day. Now the, the sun's up, which makes one feel a little bit better about life. And you had someone there who took the day off work who's said, hey, dude, here we go. Yeah. So it seems like it went pretty well this time, did it not? Yeah. I feel like um, if I were to try and do it even faster or do it again or help somebody else trying to um, uh, break my own time, I think doing it at night is a great way to do it 
I remember doing that in the first room to room, room um, especially when we're talking about minimizing the loading of your quads. I feel like everybody naturally runs slower at night. Um, so you're not going to run um, probably beyond your um, your capabilities if you're doing those descents at night, um, the first descent in the south rim or the second descent from the north rim. So I think that's a great strategy for going a little slower. And um, for me, when I struggled that um, the second time I tried this, it was wrapping my mind around trying to be quick and economical with tired legs in the night. That was just a little defeating. Um, and I think if you can do, you know, that, that set in the dark first when it's a little cooler, um, minimize the time in the sun kind of baking, um, that's a smart way to do this. <laughs> if, uh, if you can um, forgo your urge to see the beauty of the canyon, you know, because you're not seeing anything at night. Um, I had a little bit of a moon and it was really pretty. Um, you could kind of see parts of Grand Canyon. But if you've never been, I that might be a struggle. Don't do this. Yeah, don't, don't do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, good call. I, I strongly feel that way. Most of my long FKTs have been set on the second time, not because I just flailed the first time, because I didn't want to go fast the first time. I wanted to make sure everything was in daylight hours so I could see what was up. Yeah. Now, uh, but the heat is an interesting one. Francois Dion, who still has the FKT supported on the John Muir Trail, he did something a little different. You know, he did it during a shorter shoulder season instead of the midsummer. And he just did a lot of it with headlamp with pacers, which is a very unusual style. It's kind of like a race level of support going with pacers. But that also meant that he didn't have to struggle with any heat. Yeah. Because it was fairly cool the whole time. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you're looking at the variables out there and looking at the kind of runner um, you are and saying, uh, what do I need to um, be most effective here? Um, Francois is a world-class athlete. I think he knows exactly what he needs to do um, just to crush it anywhere. He's, you know, um, yeah, but I feel like I figured out what I needed uh, at Grand Canyon to get over um, the hurdles I needed to. Um, so yeah, you just okay. kind of, Got to look, see what it's going to take for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's uh, rim to rim to rim is so good because you can do it. You can do it by yourself. It's, I mean, you do it unsupported is actually perfectly reasonable because there's water. So relatively speaking, there's water and they never turn off phantom. I don't think. And so you could do this, and you know, sometimes people can get surprised at ice on the trail. Oh, yeah. At the north rim. There's even ice in the trail dropping off the south rim sometimes, but there almost never is when you get down lower. Now, if you're going to do a Christoph Teuscher, who we had on the podcast, like, number eight or something like that, he did four rim-to-rim-to-rims. Yeah. That was a little unusual. But you, so you, like you said, there's all sorts of things one can do. One can create one's own what works for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I, and it, there's plenty of FKTs and journeys to be had at Grand Canyon beyond uh, the corridor. Also, it's fun to talk about. Um, there's a long tradition of running in the quarter. And by that, I mean the, the relatively um, runnable and um, maintained trails of Bright Angels, South Kaibab and North Kaibab. But um, you know, there's other FKTs at Grand Canyon. It's like the Rim to Rim to Rim Alt, um, the whole Tonto. Um, I know somebody at Flagstaff uh, was looking at that too. 
uh, doing the pool Tonto, which um, runs parallel to the river, um, not cross canyon, but um, perpendicular to it, if you will. Um, and there's well, other I, amazing I just routes. Spoke, I just spoke to that person a few days ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Should we mention that person's name or let everyone guess or just wait until he and his partner do it and let them figure it out? Well, let's wait. Let's see. Uh, let's see what people do out there, because maybe um, maybe that'll spark somebody's imagination if, if they don't succeed. Um, and I know uh, there's people doing other FKTs trying to establish them in the Grand Canyon as well. So, um, yeah, there's a myriad of stuff out there to experience and run. Um, yeah, the, okay. the corridor is just obvious. The most right. obvious, perhaps, to the um, right. Um, well, like you said, it has a phenomenal history. I don't know if, I mean, of course, we started Fast Known Time website a few years ago. Before that, Peter Backlund kept track of it on a kind of a low key website for about eight years. But Grand Canyon running has going, been going on for 50 years. I mean, people have going been going after essentially FKTs for 50 years and in, in some way or another trying to keep track of them. Alan, yeah. Kirinton is, of course, one of the early leaders there. Then Harvey Bouchard did a lot of exploration. So it, it goes back decades and decades. Yeah. Have you read that book? Um, Which about one? Harvey, uh, Grand Obsession. No, this is. Oh, nice. it's amazing. Good, good, good call. Yeah. So we we're talking about uh, Harvey um, Bert, Birchart, something like that. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a book about him called Grand Obsession. He was a professor at NAU here in Flagstaff. And he pioneered, uh, well, pioneered is maybe the wrong word. He popularized uh, a lot of routes um, in Grand Canyon uh, just because he was tremendously obsessed with it. Um, it didn't work out super well, I believe, for his marriage and his family necessarily. <laughs> but this is a person that would just spend uh, as much time as humanly possible there. And I think like the 40s and 50s where he had to do things with uh, like pretty mediocre gear and kind of pioneer stuff with gear before the dam was even up uh, or either dam. So there's some accounts of him floating down the Colorado on an inflatable mattress to get from one side or the other, or to, um, to link up parts of the Canyon back when it was still warmer before the, before the dam uh, cooled all the water down. Um, but yeah, that's just phenomenal history there. That, that's phenomenal. an amazing book. Yeah. And, and also um, over the edge life and death at a uh, grand Canyon's a uh, amazing book. Um, for anybody to check out, it's it's kind of a uh, maybe a touch morbid, but it's accounts of anybody uh, or everybody that's ever perished there. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but that's a yep. pretty wild read. <laughs> I love it, Drew. So I'll <clears throat> put links in the written show notes to both these books. Harvey definitely did pioneer roots. I mean, this guy, these guys make us look puny. There's just no question about it. Because yeah. they are, had their aluminum, you know, two-quart Boy Scout canteens that they drape over their neck. And they'd go out there for like three days and they'd yeah. just slog up these brushy gullies and over to the mesas. Just just try to see what would go. And most of it doesn't go. Most of it you get cliffed out, but occasionally it does. And he has these four little tiny books. You know, they're like 60 pages long, you know, just like mimeographed printed books that have roots that you know are rarely being repeated now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, if I understand correctly, and I don't know a lot about uh, climbing or canyoneering, that's way beyond my skill set. Uh, so I'm not pretending to be an authority on that. But if I understand correctly, he was um, having to kind of um, figure out stuff for navigating all those crazy pour offs at Grand Canyon before there was a lot of gear 
that spoke to any of those needs, like the, the canyoneering skill set that we kind of take for granted as existing now. Um, I don't think there was much or any of that back then. So he was doing, I mean, even beyond those, those routes where there's breaks in the red wall, he was doing crazy stuff to navigate these poor offs. Um, yeah, absolutely wild. It's right. Well, <laughs> this is so fun, Drew. This April, Peter Backwood and I did the Butte Fault uh, loop, which is cuts across on the north side of the rim from Nankaweep right into uh, Clear Creek. And we're thinking, who did this? I mean, we're happy to know that it could be done because this gave us the courage and the fortitude to keep going. But if we didn't know it would actually go, because you can't see it visually. Yeah. You can't see the path that's going to go through that red wall. Yeah. But knowing that someone had done it means, okay, we'll keep going. But then if you don't make it, you're out of water. So we brought enough water to get to the next creek, but you yeah. have to go out there and hang out. Totally. Um, you might get a kick out of this. My uh, permit that's approved for later in the month is actually Nankoweep. So we'll be going down. If you have any uh, um, bits of advice or insight you want to share, uh, Nankoweep, um, you may recall the Park Service tells that is their, um, their most dangerous or difficult trail. And it has some kind of famous uh, exposure. Um, yeah. Any Anything you want to relate about Nankoweep? Well, it's the biggest rim to river drop. Oh, yeah, All- that's right. Of all the Rim to River trails, Nankoweep's got the biggest, so that's that's kind of fun. Technically, yeah. no, it's it's fine. But the, you know, I, I'm real good technically, but still, no, that's not an issue. There's supposedly a spring at the top, which there isn't. So yeah. when Peter and I did it, that was our issue, is that we ran out of water sooner than we thought we were going to. But it was in April, so we just started taking snow and just jamming it into our water bottles. I bring a wide mouth water bottle for this purpose. Yeah. And so we're just jamming snow into it, drinking a little, jamming snow into it, drinking a little bit. That's wild. And so it it, it helps being an ultra runner because then hopefully you can make it down to Nankawee Creek where there always is perennial water. Yeah, yeah. But um, if you're not strong, then you you kind of do need to make it to the creek. Yeah. Um, and you've you've also been on a you're one of the handful of people that have done the rim to rim to rim alt. Is that right? Like um, with uh, North and South Bass. I named um, it. Yeah. So how would you how would you compare uh, um, North Bass to Nankoweep then? Because North Bass is a beautiful trail, um, especially down the bottom. I I know we're talking about the corridor here, but I don't feel like that trail gets enough recognition. It's got those beautiful uh, slot canyons and narrows in the bottom. If you take the low water route, and then you can take the the high route, and you the views are just. Even for Grand Canyon, it's exceptional. It's wild. <laughs> if, if the views are exceptional for the Grand Canyon, you have exceptional views, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, and, well, good and, for you, Drew. I mean, if you've been on the North Pass, I think the issue there is getting to it, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's not, it's not easy to get to the trailhead. Yeah, and I can tell you from experience that if you don't have a permit to stay at North Pass, um, you will get a ticket from the Park Service. Um, really? It, yeah, that, that's a... Um, they gave me a ticket for that at North Pass, actually. Um, a ranger was out at that trailhead? It, yeah, very strange. Only two other people. And, and that's a super remote trailhead. It takes how long since you leave payments to get there? Like an hour and a half, maybe? Um, but yeah, they were posted up. Uh, and I thought it was just two other um, backpackers, and we were just kind of chatting. Um, but they worked for the Park Service and gave me a ticket because I didn't have a permit to be there. 
the, the day before starting that. I did that as an out and back hike to the Colorado and looked at Bass's camp. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to see that, if it was on a spur or something. It's kind of neat. Um, just in the, the long history of miners um, improving trails, uh, William Bass, I believe, is the miner in question that developed that one. Um, and I think he had a lot to do with the, the old crossing that used to be there across the river um, to access his mine and camp too. So anyway, uh, getting kind of up subject, but there's just so much history and so many cool things at Grand Canyon. It's, it's hard not to get carried away. Well, that's what we're here for (laughs) to get carried away. So I think I, if you like North Bass, Nanko Weep's easier. Awesome. That's that's yeah. Oh, except North Bass has water. There's a very good spring there. And then you get down, like you say, in that Creek at the bottom. Well, uh, Nanko Weep has got nothing including the approach to start the Nankweep Trail over Saddle Mountain until he gets yeah. to Nankweep Creek. But I think Nankweep's an easier trail and it's easier to follow than North Bass. Good to know. Have you ever had a, a occasion to um, go to the confluence of the Little Colorado along Beamer Trail? Just on the subject of exposure, I feel like that one comes to mind. Just um, the crazy exposure on that trail, like hundreds of, of feet, dropping you into the Colorado if on this kind of like canted trail that's a little gravelly <laughs> and it's only, you know, a couple feet wide. Yeah. No, I love the confluence of Little Colorado because they have this milky, I don't know why, but it's milky blue, as you know, usually. Mm-hmm. The little color, we call it the LCR is that turquoise color because of the uh, limestone that's up there. It's, it's truly it's, turquoise too. It's like... it's. Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous. So you have this either clear or if it's just rain, this muddy Colorado coming in mm-hmm. normally from the left if you're on the Beamer. And coming in from the right, the LCR is this turquoise color. And you're going, what's up with this? I mean, yeah, you can tell you're there. It's it's unmistakable. Yeah. Just, yeah, um, I, I was lucky enough to do that again because um, it's a pretty long route. Um, from, let's see, I guess you drop down Tanner on the South Rim and then you get to Beamer and it's a pretty long day on Beamer. And if you're doing it out and back in one day, it's, it's a long day and, um, not a ton of runnable sections of, of that on Tanner there is. Um, but, um, I was looking at the, that training for your I think Beamer's fun here. because you have some of that anthropomorphic debris, like you mentioned bass. These guys are just crazy. And you're out there, like you said, you, you get at the top and we have all the modern gear in the world. We got our cell phones. We got everything. It's like, oh, man, that's, I don't want to go back down there. But then you start reading the history and these miners were out there. They just lived down there. Yeah. And and really, what the heck? I, you mentioned William Bass. I think he had actually schlepped enough gear for a cable to go across the Bass Crossing so you go back and forth. Yeah. And then you have the Hermit Boucher loop. And you know, yeah. the hermit, there was Louis an Boucher. actual hermit, you know, who lived there for like 20 years. He just, yeah, Louis Boucher. There. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, what was he eating and drinking? I mean, how did this, I mean, again, I think we're just wusses compared with those old timers. Yeah. Um, to be fair, there's also, I mean, those guys were, were, um, yeah, they, they were, they were pretty rugged folks. I was going to, uh, try and say that there used to exist an infrastructure to take people down on uh, like mules down to like the old hermit camp, just a trail with, you know, a ton of history. But I, I think they actually had it pretty rough going down on, on mules and stuff and a pretty rough camp down there at hermit camp. So I'm not going to 
make a point that that was any easier. <laughs> no, I don't think they had kombucha tea for evening. Yeah. Well, well, here's a good question. <laughs> so, Drew, you're so knowledgeable and you're so into the big ditch. What is your favorite trail? That's a great question. Um, I think, too, on this, I mean, I spend most of my time in the South Rim just because it's so much easier. Um, I think one of my favorite experiences was actually South Canyon, which is neither the North or South Rim. Um, it goes into the river uh, in Grand. I think it goes into the, the river in Marble Canyon, technically. But you have uh, Stanton's Cave and you have Bassey's, Bassey's or Bassey's Paradise. I, I can't say it right um, there. That's a crazy route uh, that comes in off of um, House Rock Valley Road. Um, folks familiar with the, the AZT might know that area um, or uh, familiar with like Wire Pass or Buckskin Gulch. It's kind of near that stuff. Um, that's crazy. Um, I love Hermit. Hermit's such a classic. I think since we're talking about running, um, we should talk a little more about Hermit Trail because that's such a runnable trail, um, at least until you get to um, the bottom of Hermit Creek where you're going to the Colorado. You're kind of creek walking and it's all cairned and wild, but um, down to the, the at least the, the head of Hermit Creek or where it branches off uh, near the Tonto. That's incredibly runnable um, and it's beautiful. It's just so traversy um, that there's so many runnable sections and you're just like right at the level of the red wall, um, which if, for those not familiar with Grand Canyon, um, the geology there, there's these just sheer red cliffs that are uh, hundreds of feet, just sheer drops. And in some parts of the canyon, they're on you in both sides. And if the sun's coming up or going down in just such a way, it's um, it's one of those things that just sticks with you for a long time. And maybe that's why it's so special to me. Um, I love Hermit. Um, can't say and when you do it, do you do that. the Hermit Brochet loop? or That's a, that's a rough loop uh, for me. Um, I If I was trying to loop it, I would do uh, Hermit, then the Tonto through Monument Creek, and then back out um, uh, Bright Angel. That's a cool, oh, really? like it's, you know, shaped like a C and that gives you um, a lot of time on a very manageable section of Tonto. It's not like doing, um, I did the gems in one day, which is South Bass, all of that Tonto and then up Boucher. And man, no one ever goes out there. They're not a route finding on that. <laughs> and it just tears up your legs. It's at that, uh, that elevation where the plants just, they're just grabbing at your shins and ripping them up. <laughs> if you're not used to that, it's kind of defeating. Uh, if I had to do that again, I would take KT tape and, and tape my shins up because that's rough out there. That section of Tonto is, um, it's rough. <laughs> Excellent description. So that our, hopefully our listeners are getting some good ideas of what to do and what not to do. So the yeah. gyms are, I, I like that. It's because Grand Canyon aficionados know that the gyms are Sapphire Canyon, Ruby Canyon, Garnett Canyon. Garnett is where the Tonto Rim, as you mentioned earlier, starts. And it, there's not a lot of people out there. You could go for a day. You might not see anybody else. Absolutely. Yeah, you'll probably see more bighorn sheep, desert bighorns, than people out there. And it's kind of famous for that, um, is just the bighorns, which was part of why I wanted to do it. And, of course, they're going to backpack it like a reasonable person. I had to run it in one day. Uh, so, yeah. But Boucher, is, it's got some some scrambling. It's There's nothing fast about that. Right. Right. Well, it's uh, it's so it's the opposite of the corridor trails. 
It's the opposite I mean, of the quarter trails. Yeah, I mean, they're groomed uh, and maintained for the mule train, particularly South Kaibab. And even North Kaibab is really well constructed. Like you said, steppy. They're going to they're put in the water bars. They're going to put in the steps. While Boucher, it's like a social path. Yeah, a lot of lot of scrambling up and down climbing. No, nothing crazy, like you don't need ropes. But um, you know, it's it's hard to split quick out there. You're you're going slow. So I think while we're talking about these really crazy phenomenal things, um, it's also important to mention this is not fast traveling. Once you get up the corridor, it's stuff that's going to slow you down. Um, and I think definitely benefits people that are into adventures and maybe. Uh, um, have more of a hiking or backpacking background will do well in these scenarios than your maybe your typical trail runner that only runs and is used to splitting fast. But um, that's what's cool about Grand Canyon is there's adventures for every type of hiker or runner there. Um, Thank you for bringing that up, Drew. I think we're you and I are sitting here, you know, building up our mutual stoke. But at the same time, we have to emphasize what you just said. You can get into trouble, and so go out there and learn. You don't have to go out there and say, I'm going for an FKT. You can do an FKT route. You don't have to go to beat the best time. Just use it as a bucket list, right? Use the FKT uh, website as a bucket list of fun things and cool things to do. And after you've gotten used to the desert, after you've gotten used to that, that limestone, like the red wall is a limestone. It's like knives. If you fall on that limestone and you get sliced up, and of course, if you run out of water, it's it's literally life threatening. Yeah, just just like that. It's it's like being at twenty thousand feet in the Himalaya and getting high altitude pulmonary edema. It it's it's life threatening. So best to practice in the Grand Canyon, have a good time, be respectful, enjoy the scenery, and then if you want to go really hard, do that in your third or fourth time out there. Yeah, totally. Or just um, start exploring things. Like I think, as we're talking about, like these really deep backcountry cuts you and I are talking about, um, maybe if you've only ever run into the, the corridor, check out Hermit. That's, um, you know, there's water out there. Um, learn how to pack your filter um, and like iodine or other ways to treat water. Um, and uh, yeah, see something new there. Or, or yeah, I was going to plug Tanner, but maybe that's uh, too much. Tanner's just say okay. Hermit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying Hermit. <laughs> and if, if you're in, well, the thing about the, like you said, the South Rim is by far the most accessible, particularly if you're coming from Flag or if you're Absolutely. flying from back East or out West, you might fly into Flag or Phoenix and rent a car. Mm-hmm. But if you come in from the North Rim, it gets interesting. Sorry, we just got to keep going on this a little bit longer because you almost have to wait until they open up the road from Jacob's Lake on May 15th. Yeah. And then it's too hot. I mean, you have this amazing little window. Once you can drive into the North Rim, wow, it's mid-May, and now you are facing the sun. The North Rim, of course, faces south. And so it's actually a little hotter than the South Rim. So you got like maybe two weeks to get a few things done if you're in the springtime. So maybe October is the better time. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's st- certainly a popular window. I think if you're going running in a weekend at Grand Canyon in this little window, you're going to know um, because there's so many people trying to run rim to rim to rim in this one tiny window. 
the congestion is pretty mind boggling, actually. Um, I started mine on a Sunday night, still kind of in this window. But the the time that I was successful, they'd actually turned half the water off um, on the corridor. So I, I'd missed that really favorable window um, and gone after some of the water was off, um, like a Supai tunnel um, and somewhere else, maybe just Supai. However, um, I think there's, it's definitely alluring to, to try and go in this one really specific window, but the congestion is also crazy. So maybe break it up and go on a weekday. Or I've had some of my best backpacking experiences in Grand Canyon when it's stupid hot. Um, when I lived in Sedona and was a little more acclimated to the heat, uh, like other people in Arizona or hot parts of the country might be, I think there's still fun to be had there if you um, go unprepared and, and train for it, not walk into it kind of uh, unknowingly. And, and same for uh, once some of the water is off there, you can still bring a filter in. And there's water on the corridor, um, Bright Angel Creek, all the way down or most of the way down rather on that trail. And then, um, yeah, Phantom Creek or, or Kaibab Creek. I can't remember which goes by Phantom Ranch, but that's flowing all the way from um, Roaring Springs. Uh, so you have the opportunity for water there and it's not as hot um, off season. So yeah, there, there's right. definitely a season, but um, I think you can go there and do cool stuff year round. Well, I established Rim to Rim Alt for the reason you just mentioned. A ranger had personally exclaimed to me that they're considering you know, shutting it down to runners. And I was like, what? You can't do that. But he talked about that congestion. He talked about the toilets backing up at Phantom Ranch and something that really kind of hurt me personally. He talked about runners dropping goo wrappers on the trail. And I yeah. went, whoa, no, 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 no. So anyone listening to this podcast, let it be known that I'll just kind of say it unapologetically. We don't do that right? Yeah. We don't litter. We take care of the environment. We're courteous to all other trail users. And that's, that's our culture. And so let's try to keep that. And he told me that what was happening is that running shops in uh, like Phoenix and Las Vegas were renting buses, putting 30 people in the bus, dropping them off at the North Rim and driving around to the South Rim to pick them up. And so they had people who weren't experienced down there and then they couldn't get back out and the rangers would have to take care of them. And this is not cool. Yeah. So the trail running community should take care of ourselves, be responsible. And that's how Rim to Rim to Rim Alt was created and named. Yeah. Because South Bass and North Bass and back remarkably is the same distance and the same vert and the same gradient as the corridor trails. Yeah. It just there's no bridge. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a big caveat. It's <laughs> worth mentioning, but I think to build on that there, there's a, um, we should probably stop and talk about etiquette for a moment because runners aren't the only people at Grand Canyon. There's plenty of people hiking, um, whether just day hiking or that have these really big packs that are really tired and probably not going to see you coming down, you know, splitting fast on the downhill. And there's also all the mules there. Um, and the mules have the right of way. Um, so there's definitely, um, uh, communication to, to be um, managed uh, in the corridor um, with the other trail users, hikers uh, or runners, letting them know um, where you are and that you're behind them and uh, not making a bad name for um, the people that love to run there, whether they do it every weekend or just want to, you know, bucket list it. I think we all need to be responsible and communicating with other people um, at Grand Canyon to make sure that um, runners don't get a bad name there 
because um, it's such a beautiful place to recreate and it's kind of everybody's job to, um, um, you know, maintain good relationships with uh, the people that are running the mule trains because uh, we have to share and yield to them um, on the trail um, and also just other uh, other users and, and the rangers there. So, Very well said. Very much appreciate that. A, a quick clarification. We Maybe we should put this on the website. If you're going hard for an FKT, go all out, have fun, throw down, and you do not have the right of way. It doesn't mean that at all. So always respect other trail users, even as you're going hard. This is not a race course. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what I like to say is I try and announce like as loud as I can before uh, I'm like bearing down on somebody like, hey, right behind you, can I squeeze by on your left? And usually somebody will know. Um, of course, also not everybody at Grand Canyon speaks English. They might not understand your words um, just because you're saying them. Um, you know, it's very popular in the world to visit Grand Canyon. Um, so if you can maybe just use your words really far in advance, somebody who might not understand your language will, um, you know, move or not. Um, and if they don't want to, they don't have to move. You can just kind of sidestep around somebody, but yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Drew. Really sure. appreciate that. Well, we're going to wind up uh, with how we always do it. Uh, what's next? But first we'll note that we're recording this on November 1st, so happy Sawan, also known as All Saints Day. The uh, Roman, the Christians borrowed the pagan holiday from the Druids. Sawan was one of the cross-quarter days, halfway between the equinox and the solstice. So happy All Saints Day. And uh, as we mentioned, we spoke to someone a few days ago who's going to do something you just mentioned 15 minutes ago. So this is a test. See how careful people were listening. And hopefully we'll have this person back on this podcast here in four weeks and see how that went. But what's next for you, Drew? I mean, you're really experienced here. You got this one done. So I'm really curious. What, yeah. what might be next for you? Um, let's see. Well, outside of Grand Canyon, I'm just looking forward to playing the lottery game um, this fall and winter like everybody. Um, you know, trying to see if you can get a place in certain races. Uh, I, I, you mentioned earlier, I'm in the, the 1% uh, likelihood of getting into Hard Rock. So fingers crossed on that. I'll be entering the Wasatch uh, front lottery as well and uh, hoping to register for Labaredo in, um, in Italy, um, which isn't a lottery, but um, planning the year around that, um, as well as Mugion, or not Mugion, uh, Moab 250. Um, and then, yeah, looking at other stuff at Grand Canyon, um, there's not a lot of efforts on the Tonto FKT. Um, so I had an eye on that. And uh, who knows what else? But kind of taking a little time away from um, competing to just relax and do some hiking and backpacking in Grand Canyon and hopefully a lot of skiing. <laughs> Good call. Hiking and backpacking. Relax. Enjoy it. Wonderful. I like your combination. I like your style. Thanks. I appreciate it. And if other people like this, if you're enjoying listening, please rate us on Apple or Spotify. It helps, be, um, yeah, it helps people find us. And um, so feel free to give us a Patreon subscription if you want. Because we are not supported by anyone. There's very few ads here. And so go to the written show notes if you want to see how to make a donation. Keep fastest known time coming to you the way it has been for this past three years. Thanks, Drew. I hope I see you down in the big ditch sometime. Oh, that'd be amazing, Wes. Thanks for having me. <laughs>